Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. If you're an organization that is focused on selling or marketing in the business-to-business space, then I don't need to tell you that scalability is important. Being able to really amplify and to reach more prospects, more audiences in pursuit of your growth objectives, there's nothing more critical and there's nothing more challenging right now out in the B2B space. Uh, If you look at it from the standpoint of the organizations that are selling and marketing, if you're looking at it from the perspective of agencies that are out um, trying to achieve new client relationships and just looking at the agency side of the equation, just looking at digital advertising agencies in the US, there are more than 6,100 advertising agencies uh, that are in the US this year. That's an increase of 12% from last year. And actually that has grown 12% about the last five years. So the number of competing agencies is growing. They're working with companies that are selling either a product or service out into an increasingly competitive and crowded space. And so how do you scale your marketing efforts effectively? And how do you do that when the actual behavior of your prospects has really been evolving and changing? I was looking at some recent research the B2B space, and 61% of the B2B market has gone online and on average, at least 12 online searches before any kind of meaningful purchase dialogue or purchase decision. And get this, 70% of B2B buyers, it's estimated, have already completed uh, that portion of their process before ever even reaching out to sales. So they're, they're almost three quarters of the way down the road in their supposed buyers or purchase decision-making before they ever get into a meaningful sales engagement. So how do we get more organizations or agencies into a position to be out in front of the right buyers, the right audiences with the right message at the right time? And I'm excited to talk about that with my guest, Dan Englander. And Dan is the host of the Digital Agency Growth Podcast, He's also the CEO and founder of Scales Schema, a fractional business team for marketing agencies and B2B companies. Dan knows this space really well. Since 2014, Sales Schema has used a proprietary approach called Relationship Sales at Scale. And that works with more than 60 organizations. It generates millions in lifetime revenue and creates thousands of relationships between clients and decision makers at mid to large companies. Examples. Birchbox, Stripe, and Venmo. Prior to founding Sales Schema, Dan was the first employee and the new business lead at Ideal Rocket. And I'm going to share this, Dan. We're not going to get into it in depth, but interesting. In his spare time, enjoys developing interesting aches and pains via Brazilian jiu-jitsu and submission grappling. So Dan, I'm not going to get anywhere near a ring with you, but Dan, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Uh, thank you, Dan. I re- really appreciate it. And thanks for the, the warm intro. Yeah. So 
Dan, uh, you have this interesting background. You've had a very entrepreneurial career path. I'm curious what originally inspired you to start going in that direction. Yeah. I mean, I think at the time, like if I go back to 2014, um, it was the the classic kind of like Tim Ferriss thing, if I'm being honest, right? I was trying to, um, I actually had a job that I, I relatively enjoyed, but just kind of wanted to do my own thing. Um, you know, the, the classic story. So I, I quit my job then and I ended up traveling Asia, um, started a consulting practice and then realized pretty early on that people needed help with, with pipeline and with, you know, sales and that kind of thing. And I had a background in that from, from my you know, nine to five, uh, and then moved in that, that direction. And then the, and then it kind of just kept going from there. So I don't, I, there wasn't, you know, a grand plan or anything like that. It was kind of just one decision after the other, which I think is, is pretty common from other entrepreneurs that I know. You know, it's really interesting, Dan, I've talked to a lot of company founders and about their inspiration and their backgrounds. And it seems like a common thread. A lot of them at one point of their life had this global travel experience, right? Going out, visiting other cultures, countries. I'm I'm just curious, what what did you really gain from that, right? Is that how has that helped you as you then gone down your path of growing a business? Yeah, no, it's it's a really good question. I don't know if I have the the best the best answer. It's something that I think about though. Um I, I think I think that at the time there was this this kind of feeling that that it could be like a, a junction kind of waypoint. I'm sure that there's some kind of like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey element to that too. But at the time it was like, okay, this is a, a way to save money and it's gonna be fun and it's gonna be an adventure and all that sort of thing. Um I think though that, you know, as time's gone on, I've realized that my my priorities have changed. I think at the time it was it was a way to kind of like transition out of a nine to five, and it was all about lifestyle. You know, the whole like lifestyle uh, design kind of, kind of motivation. Now though, I've realized that you know it's it's the, there's more to life than than designing a just just mm-hmm. the lifestyle. The lifestyle matters. So I don't know to be honest with you what um, what significance it has. Now, I think it's just something, but I definitely have fond memories of it, you know, and looking back on travel. Um, but I think now like the, the stability, <laughs> the consistency <laughs> is, is more, uh, more interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, founding your own company is never easy. Dan, what have been some of the biggest hurdles you've had to face and what kind of surprises have you had along the way? Yeah, um, I, I think a lot. Uh, the, the, I think the biggest hurdle we've had to face is just the fact that we're we're solving a hard problem. You know, we're trying to get skeptical decision makers to have conversations with our clients, and we've just had to work through tons of iterations on how to do that really well to get. And it hasn't been one thing. You know, I think that a lot of in terms of hurdles, like a lot of the time, what's what's sold to us as entrepreneurs is this idea that like you're going to do one thing. That everything's going to change for the better, but for us, it's been just like brick by brick, you know, getting like doing ordinary things a little bit better each day to get to a point where, hey, our clients are actually like sticking with us for a while, which is which is nice, right? Um, so, so I think that's I don't know if that answers the question perfectly, but that that's one thing. And in terms of surprises, if that's another good question. Um, I think I think the biggest one recently is just um you know how how important all the uh, how important hiring is really and and how all the classic stuff that I think you know I I had I had taken for granted about like hiring and training in the early days really does matter um I think that one 
way that I used to think about hiring in the past was, well, you know, we'll, we'll just test somebody out and we can just kind of figure it out as we go along or have the person fit the role. And I think one big surprise, and this is, this is also inspired by a book that I'm really enjoying now called uh, the road less stupid by Keith Cunningham is that like a lot of the job can become, you know, uh, thinking can, it can become like sitting around and actually thinking really hard about problems in the business as opposed to just like, constantly finding activities to do. So that, that's been a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. You know, you were talking about the hiring. I think the other aspect, uh, so much time and effort gets put into the process around hiring and a lot of organizations, you know, try to get everyone on the same page. What kind of questions are we going to ask? Make sure those are kind of behavioral type questions or using the star technique, you know, get get a better read on whether there's going to be a good fit. But then there are just inevitably these intangibles, right? There's just some things that you can't definitively interview for in terms of just the fit inside of the culture, right? Do you Have you found that that just, you know, great effort on the front end, but, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and and I think though that like the the classic stuff like whatever methodology works for you, but the interview and and these things that are very like time tested do matter and one thing that I often uh that I've been kind of fetching about lately is like there seems to be this um this trend of it's usually not entrepreneurs or people that have hired a lot, it's usually like academics or people that haven't really done it kind of making the argument that hey, vetting people doesn't matter as much. The interviews don't matter, references, all these things, because we can't really predict performance anyway, right? That's something that that you tend to see a lot. And I think it's BS just because Mm -hmm. it's usually based on like this data set that's like averaging tons of people and looking for average performance. And like, it's just, it's, it's not really geared towards people that have actually hired lots of people. And like the fact that, hey, an interview and like doing these things really, really well, checking references really, really well. It's never going to tell you hundred percent what's going to happen because you can't predict the future, but it's going to give you an edge and that edge can, you know, mean a lot of time, a lot of resources and so on. So that's, that's kind of what, what I've tried to focus a lot of my, my energy on anyway. Yeah. And actually in my own experience in hiring at different roles within marketing teams, I've actually found some of the better leading indicators in terms of quality candidate and fit. It's not so much just how they answer the questions you're asking them, but what questions do they come in prepared to ask? I, I've learned a lot by the just what their slate of questions is, right? That can be an indicator too. Yeah, it, exactly. And yeah, people coming with none can be a red flag. And, and also just figuring out like what is really going on with this person, right? With the, <laughs> this person sitting in front of you. Like, are they, what are they like really looking for? And you have to, and, and, and usually people will kind of like whisper it. And and then there's there's a great article on this actually that I'll plug called by Graham Duncan and maybe I can get, send you the link or something if anyone's interested but this, it's helped me a lot and there's really good examples of questions and um, a lot like his his whole feeling of interviews is like the purpose of the interview is to guide the reference calls because that's where you're going to get non-public information and actually like figure out what's motivating this person so I, I, I guess another thing that's kind of helped me with with hiring is really kind of framing it as like, I'm trying to find a really good fit for this person as opposed to it being this kind of like antagonistic audition sort of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously it, in growing your business and founding that business, you've probably worked with uh, advisors that you really trust along the way, but I'm curious, what is the single best piece of leadership advice you think you've received so far? 
Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Um, I, I don't have like a very a really, a really great answer. Um, I, I think that lately it's it's been around hiring. Um, so just like putting hiring above all else, if you're in that mode and not taking shortcuts there. Um, I think another one, and just kind of like back to what um, what I've been really enjoying from Keith Cunningham lately, as well as like long term advisors that I've had, like Mike Ganzel, who's, who's one of our longtime sales coaches. Even if he hasn't said it flat out, I think he's kind of indicated it. I think another is that like if you're if you're a CEO, like there's kind of like good news and bad news. This is this isn't like explicit advice I've heard, but it's something that I'm sort of starting to put together. Uh, so it's a work in progress in my head, but. Um, it, the good news and bad news is that first, the, the bad news is that you have a job. So don't like fool yourself into thinking you don't and that you are going to create this business that runs completely without yeah. you. You might do less, but like, you know, and you might not have your head in the machine as much as you used to, but you still have a job. So that's the bad news. But the good news is I think the job can more and more involve like thinking about, yeah, thinking about hard problems and really kind of like devoting more, more energy to the ins and outs of things as opposed to just like constant activity. So I, I, I know that's all over the place, but those are a few things that, that kind of come to mind. Yeah, Dan, I don't think there are really any true autopilot businesses out there. And actually, even if there are, then probably if, if you're going into that mode, you're, you're missing opportunities, right? So you could be even greater than, than you are, even if things seem to be going well, right? So I think that whole notion of the find the magic of an autopilot, it just, not reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Cunningham puts this well, where he's like the better metaphor and it's not even the flywheel. Cause like a flywheel, you know, goes for a really long time. I think it's more like a merry-go-round. Like you can spin the merry-go-round enough times and let go and it'll spin on its own, but it's going to stop, you know, yeah. before too long. Right. So, well, now one of the things you talk about really passionately is that there's this opportunity in the marketing and sales process to create more meaningful relationships at scale. Can you shed some more light on that? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot to dig into there. Um, so, so again, our, our core competency is the marketing agency space, but we also work with lots of uh, B two B service companies and others in the B two B space. And our to frame this out a little bit, our whole experience has been like we did the cold outreach thing for a long time, and it just sort of declined rapidly over the years in terms of performance. The idea of and this isn't just the agency world, but if you can think about like any business that you can sort of start or that anybody can start with a laptop and an internet connection is one that's going to become increasingly crowded where there's like like you talked about in the intro where there's so much competition and so much skepticism and what happens at different market phases has actually been kind of well observed and well um you know well, well put out there uh, by a lot of people but one one of which I, I love who's Gene Schwartz who wrote, wrote a really good book in the 60s called breakthrough advertising and there's a lot there's a lot of different stages but long story short the the last one is like the fifth stage which is where you're in a high skepticism market right where people might not be a complete expert but they generally understand what you do and the problem that you solve and how you solve it and everything like that. So the, the question is like that defines most of our businesses now, especially if you're in a, a B2B service space, if you're in the agency space, et cetera. So the question becomes like, what, what, what do you do there? And the first thing is knowing that the scarce resource is no longer information. It's no longer differentiators necessarily, although that does matter, you know, later on in the sales process, it's really trust. Like that's, that's the scarce mm -hmm. resource that yeah. we're all dealing with. So 
our whole experience has been, you know, what's the best way to build that trust? Well, you could send people more information. You could make videos of your face saying things. You could uh, throw more case studies at them. Um, But really the thing that's not going out of style anytime soon is relationships. It's the relationships Mm -hmm. that you have with the people in your network, with your clients and that sort of thing. So that's not revolutionary, anything that I'm saying there. Um, I think that a lot of, of businesses, most businesses, are, are built have built themselves up on the strength of their Rolodexes. They just haven't really done it in a thoughtful or, or, or meaningful way or in a way that's targeted at the people that they actually want to be doing business with. So, and the, the good news is, is that with, with this contraption called the internet that we're just starting to figure out how to use, there's ways that you can do that that you wouldn't have been able to do back when I was going to in-person networking groups, you know, circa 2012 or whatever. Um, you can do things in a much more focused way. So that that's a lot of what we're doing with our clients here at Sales Schema, where we might be mapping the connections that our clients already have into the right accounts in order for our clients to batch up referrals and thus condense like years of networking into one campaign and that sort of thing. So that, that's kind of how we're thinking about that, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, it sounds like it It all starts with uh, the strong relationship building, uh, which means that you're very customer and prospect focused. But as you're trying to do that, I know the other reality is that we're all surrounded by just more and more data, it's just more data that's available out there. But that can be really overwhelming and complex to manage. I've heard that from a lot of my colleagues out in the marketing space of just, it's almost having too much available and just like, where do I go? How do I really synthesize that? So from your perspective, what do you think is the real key for data to have the biggest impact in really helping shape the decisions and the outcomes, you know, that a B2B focused company wants to achieve? Yeah, it's a really good question. And to kind of frame that out, um, I think that we're entering a new era, like overall, um, where we're going from the information age to something else. And I'm not the one to observe this. I think a lot of other people have articulated it better than, than I can. Um, but, you know, and you see this across the board where when you get people that are like real data scientists and data analysts, they talk about how hard it is to actually use data in, in a way that's useful, you know, and it's really more about, and and then that that's even at the highest, grandest level, right? Where you're talking about like Google's of the world or where there's precious few people that understand that, that level of data, but then bringing it down to like, you know, an agency or, or a, a business where you have somebody that is dealing with a million other things, like the idea of, of data being the valuable resources is, uh, is, you know, it's really not, not the case in our experience. So the question, like, like, for example, in our world, to bring this down to earth, if we're trying to reach, you know, C-level people in large companies, like getting their email address is really cheap and easy. Anyone can do that. Like you can do that with a click of two buttons for, I don't know, less than a hundred dollars. Maybe the hard thing is getting them to agree to speak with you. Right. So, what that means and what our challenge is and what I think we've gotten really good at is balancing the, that personalization with scale, with with the data, right? With the, with the scaled out data. Because if you have, let's say you have just personalization, well, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to ship on that much outreach. And then you're not going to get that many people to agree to speak with you just for a variety of different reasons. And the bigger problem is you're just, you're going to get too busy. You're not going to be able to actually get it done. Um, And then on the other side, if you have too much scale, then you're in spam land and you're, you know, not making any meaningful connection. You're probably pissing people off and so on. So 
what that tends to mean for us is we might be contacting or doing you know targeted outreach on anywhere between 30 50 people a day um, up to you know one or 200 people per business day and with that that's where we're able to get to a pretty meaningful level of personalization where we might be mapping the actual connections that people have the the backgrounds people have maybe yeah. they went to the, they're from the same hometown college etc those are all things that are now now meaningful so that, that's kind of how we're thinking about that balance yeah, you're right. It's just finding that sweet spot between too much and then uh, not frequent enough. But uh, a lot of a lot of outbound marketers trying to figure that one out. And obviously, there's a lot more technology solutions that are out there supporting marketing activity. And the the feeling is that marketing has really moved from being just an art to much more of a science over the past decade. And I'm curious if you're view is that the skill sets and the the process for being effective, how has that evolved and changed? Is it is it different now than it was maybe even just 10 years ago? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um so I think that there there of course are are differences. I think what's more miraculous though is how same it is, how much it hasn't changed compared to the things that have changed. I think the things that change, you know, really everybody gets kind of like obsessed with them. Like, oh, we're talking on Zoom now, or somebody read an article about us before they talked or, or whatever. But I, I think that, that ultimately, like the way that, you know, human psychological wiring changes is very, very slowly if at all. Uh, so I, so I, you know, I, I probably, I buried the lead. Like I'm, I'm coming out of the book on this called, called relationship sales at scale in the next month or so. And one thing I talk about in that book um, is that is basically at the top of the funnel, like you said, with marketing, I think that actually has changed a lot. And the things that, you know, go into building trust with people we don't know in an internet environment have changed. But I think once you get another human in a one-to-one interaction on the phone, you can look back at books from a long time ago. You know, you can look back at challenger sale or, um, or, or spin selling even, and see a lot of. You know, you can probably find like that a lot of that is useful. You might change some things, but not a ton. So that that's kind of what what I've observed anyway. Is that you know my my old school sales coach Mike Ganzel, who I still work with, um, the same things he was telling me in 2010 are just as valid today. Nothing's changed that much. Um, once you get somebody on the line, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing is you've talked about trust a couple times, which is tr- gaining trust with prospects and part of the relationships. But as you're doing that, that relationship between marketing and sales, and we've talked about this on this podcast a couple different times, there's a trust that you need to build uh, and shared accountability between marketing and sales inside of your organization too, right? At the same time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think that you know a lot of the times it's, it's not, it's, it's about kind of like, you know, being very authentic and transparent with what you're doing. And and I think that that's changed a little. So, so basically if somebody's like, there's exceptions to this, but I think if somebody's receiving, you know, a marketing message, that's one to many, there's no reason not to just make it obvious that it's one to many. Um, And then once somebody has agreed to speak or has become a sales prospect, the cost of trying to automate things becomes too high. You know, like you might as well have put a little like extra, you know, a per, a human energy into it because the upside is so much more, right? So it's, it's not, it's just from a, you know, an actual effect from this point of view. Mm-hmm. And I know you work with a lot of agencies and 
at the same time, you're working with uh, organizations that are doing some of their direct selling out in the B2B space. But when you think about your two different sets of relationships there and you're developing the strategies and the tactics that can work for them, can you call out some of the big differences between those two different scenarios? And maybe there, there are things that aren't that much different, right? When you're working with agencies and then their clients that are both trying to go out and grow their businesses. Yeah, it's it's a good question. And I think that there aren't that many differences, especially at the top of the funnel when you're talking about um, a, a complex product or service, you know, I think, th- I think the thing that makes the marketing and sales different, at least at the top of the funnel is the size of the market, right. It's kind of like the TAM and, um, and, and I think whether it's technology or whether it's an agency, most of us in my business, pro- probably, you know, most of your clients' businesses are really not for mass consumption, um, there's, there's a pretty finite number of people, whether that's, you know, several thousand or maybe up to like 10,000 that can consume, um, what you're selling. So our whole feeling on that is like, why not build the relationship today instead of tomorrow? Um, and it doesn't have to be this high stakes thing. I think that's where we see people go wrong is they're like, I have to get all my ducks in a row. I have to have everything ready. And like, I have to have the proposals ready because they're going to be ready to buy. But it's like, no, you just have to de-risk that first conversation and you only have whatever several thousand people you can do business with. So you might as well do that today. So, so assuming I, you know, I kind of understood the question. Um, I think whether it's a product or, or an agency service, if you're, if your total addressable markets, you know, relatively small, um, that's going to be worth you building that. Yeah. Building that relationship sooner. Yeah. And there is a discipline and a, patience that comes into play too, because there's this natural kind of buildup of, as you said, the the excitement and the urge to want to just move really, really quickly because speed means progress. But then actually sometimes it's more important to pace that journey and make sure that you're in a position to get meaningful learning uh, as you go through that process, right? And that's harder to do than it is to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, at the risk of sounding cliche, like so much of it's just about focus and, and clarity and figuring out, you know, what problem you're solving and who you're solving it for and always kind of like interrogating that. Yeah, definitely. So when you think about the future, Dan, what really gets you excited and optimistic? Yeah, um, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think... I think the the biggest one is just the opportunities that um, this contraption of the internet afford us. Like I think that it's there's a lot of stuff that's already here, just hasn't you know the classic of the futures here. It hasn't been evenly distributed sort of thing. Um, I think that there's just more and more of that springing up. So and we're and even like in our little world of the of the agency world, like we're seeing these boundaries change where you know you really can kind of start a software empowered service business or vice versa, or you really can be a publisher that has an agency or you can be an agency that has a a publishing company. Like we're kind of like an agency or a service business, but, and you have this as well, we're, we're, we're publishers as well. So now there's opportunities that can come from that, whether it's like a sponsorship or, or whatever. So I just think that, you know, there's, there's so much, um, there's so much potential for, for creativity and for, for opportunities across the board, you know, for, for everybody. And we're just kind of scratching the surface as it turns out with, with the internet. So that, that, that makes me optimistic for sure. 
Yeah, a lot of room for continuous growing, that's for sure. And as we start winding up our conversation, any other final advice you have for businesses that are looking to take their strategic selling to the next level? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. I mean, I think that the biggest thing, and this is sounds cliche, but it matters. It's true. It's cliche for a reason, I guess. Um, is just focusing on people, focus, and specifically like yeah, the hiring theme we were talking about earlier, but also just who's doing what, um, what's their motivation, how are they incentivized, how much training and support do they have before you get to any tactics, whether it's hiring a company like ours or doing this yourself or whatever whatever you're doing. I think that's the biggest thing that determines the success of our campaigns is do we have somebody good who has time and motivation on our client side or do we not? And everything else kind of like flows from from that. Um, so that's, that's probably my, my biggest piece of advice. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you coming and sharing your journey and uh, being able to grow your company and understanding how do you scale the building of meaningful long-term relationships as the key to growth. Yeah, Dan, thank you so much. Um, and if you don't mind me shamelessly plugging the book, um, that's going to be coming out you know, 30 days from from now, it's March 15th. If anybody wants to check out the free resources or get the first chapter, um, that's just saleschema.com slash RSAS or RSAS as in relationship sales at scale. And uh, and always happy to, to nerd out with anybody on this stuff. I will look forward to the book coming out soon. And a reminder to everyone, keep those comments coming. Uh, we want to continue to make this podcast even better. You can go out and rate and review on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcast and Spotify. So keep that feedback coming. And a reminder, as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.